there was a magical place. Not too far from here, actually. Where you could toss a basketball into the air in the state of Indiana. And it would land one hour later in the state of Ohio. Time travel. Teleportation in our state. I kid you not. That mysterious place was Union Elementary School in a little town called College Corner that straddled the line, the state line between Ohio and Indiana. And in fact, the state line ran right down the middle of the gymnasium. And before Mitch Daniels shifted the state of Indiana over to daylight savings time in April of 2006, for six months of every year, half the school was in one time zone and half the school was in another time zone. You can't make this stuff up. You could toss a basketball into the air in the state of Indiana and it would land an hour later in the state of Ohio. Talk about a disturbance in the space-time continuum. This morning, I want to talk to you about another more beautiful and powerful disturbance in the space-time continuum. And we're going we're gonna to get there by looking at three realities that we see at work. There are more in this first chapter of Ephesians. We're going to look at three realities that we see at work in our passage from Ephesians this morning. We're going to do it using three words or phrases. Those three words or phrases are... Apocalypse, time zones, and inauguration. First word, apocalypse. What does that word even mean? How, How do you hear it? I have a blank space in our Bible app live event. If you want to write your answer in there, you can use that. You can write this on a piece of paper. You can just hold it in your head. It's not going to take too many words here. Here's the question I want you to answer as we're getting started. How is the word apocalypse most often used today. How is the word apocalypse most often used today? How do you hear it? What do you associate with it? Just come up with two or three words or phrases that come to mind when you hear the word apocalypse and hold on to those words for a bit. We'll come back to it shortly. So after all this wonderful good news that Paul gave us in verses 3 through 14 last week, he writes this in our passage for this morning. Come on. For this reason, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord, in the Lord Jesus, and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. For this reason, ever since I heard about your... It did it twice. I don't need it twice. You just need the first part. You don't need to worry about the second part. It's the same as the first. For what reason does Paul... For what reason does Paul give thanks and continue to pray for his readers. For everything he's just covered in verses 3 through 14, everything we looked at last week. For every spiritual blessing we have been given in Jesus, that God has chosen and predestined the people of Israel to be the way through whom he is going to bless all families of the earth. That through God's chosen people, God has predestined and chosen Jesus as the Messiah, the Christ, through whom that blessing will happen. And that in and through our faith in Christ Jesus, we experience forgiveness for our sins. We experience the rights and the privileges of of heirs to the throne. And the revelation of the mystery of God's plan to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth 
in Christ. For this reason, all the reasons in, in that first long run-on opening sentence slash paragraph from last week's passage, Paul gives thanks to God on behalf of his readers and by extension for us as well. After giving thanks for their faith and their love for one another, Paul prays for them. He gives us one of two prayers that we find in his letter to the Ephesians, and they, they book in the first section of Ephesians, chapters 1 through 3. They book in that section. In between those two prayers, Paul lays out the theology that will give shape to the practical section that we find in chapters 4 through 6. So chapters 1 through 3 are the ethical, theological part of the letter. Chapters 4 through 6 are the practical implications of the theology. They seek to answer the question, so what? If everything you said is true in the first three chapters, Paul, so what? What, is, what difference does it make? What difference should it make? Here's how Paul begins to pray in verse 17. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. He prays that God will give his readers, and again, us by extension, the spirit of wisdom and revelation. That Greek word translated as revelation is a word you're going to recognize even if you don't read Greek. It is the word apocalypsis. Apocalypsis. So earlier, I asked you to think of words or phrases that come to mind when you think of the English version of this word, apocalypse. How is it most often used today? And my guess is <clears throat> many, if not most, all of us would say things like, well, the end times, or Armageddon, <clears throat> or zombies. <clears throat> it is, after all, the first word in the book of Revelation. Chapter 1, verse 1, the revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place, he made it known by sending his angel to his servant John. The apocalypse from Jesus Christ, then, is the making known of something, the revealing of something, the uncovering of something. So, in the Greek, the word apocalypse means to lay bare, to disclose, to uncover, and to reveal. <clears throat> That's it. It's not about the end times. <clears throat> it's about revealing something that was once hidden. <clears throat> so, for example, we might say this. And in fact, I've heard it said. The last few years in the United States have been apocalyptic. They have been apocalyptic. apocalyptic. That is, they have revealed, they have brought into the open the division that we are currently experiencing in our nation. Make no mistake, that division has always been there. But perhaps it was hidden from many of us. But the difficulty of the past few years have made it known to us. So the past few years have been apocalyptic. They have uncovered who we truly are. I've heard some politicians, well-meaning politicians, say things like, we're better than this. This is not who we are. Oh, no, this is exactly who we are. These years are apocalyptic, and they have revealed the true nature of our hearts. That's depressing, I know. But the apocalypse to which the Apostle Paul refers is much better than that. He prays that we would receive a spirit of wisdom and apocalypse so that we might know Christ better. Put another way. 
he prays that we might see and know uh, more of who Christ is and have the wisdom to receive that vision, to embrace that vision and that knowledge and allow it to work in us, in our lives, to help us live our lives well in light of this revelation. Paul uses this word elsewhere in Galatians 1. Just one letter back from Ephesians in our New Testaments, he uses it to talk about his own journey toward faith in Jesus the Messiah. Galatians 1.15, he said that God was pleased to reveal his son in me. God was pleased to reveal his son in me. That word translated reveal is the same root word. God apocalypsed his son in Paul. For Paul, coming to faith in Christ was not a conversion. That word is never used. But I think you find the word conversion once in our New Testaments. See if you can find it. That word is not used. For Paul, it was an apocalypse. It uncovered the truth about Christ in him. Back in Ephesians, the apostle, the the apocalypse that the apostle Paul prays for includes everything he shared. Again, last week's passage, verses 3 through 14. And it includes all the things he's about to pray, beginning in verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. And I told you last week that every single time in the book of Ephesians when you see the pronoun you or the possessive version, your, every single time they are plural. They refer to the collective, they refer to the church, not to us as individuals. So Paul prays, get this, that the eyes of your plural, heart singular, your plural, heart singular may be enlightened This is not a verse about your heart or my heart. This is a verse about our heart. The church's heart. ECC's heart. This is a prayer that Paul prays for the church in Ephesus. And we can pray it for ECC too. May God enlighten the eyes of our heart. Now the word apocalypse isn't used here. But this is the imagery of apocalypse, of a revelation. It is a prayer for something that was once hidden to be made known, to be revealed to the eyes of our hearts. And the revelation, the apocalypse he prays for us is that we will know or experience three things. The hope to which God has called us, the riches of God's glorious inheritance, and God's incomparably great power that is available to all of us who believe. Now, in large part, what Paul is doing here is he is restating a lot of what he said in verses 3 through 10, those spiritual blessings that God has given to us in Christ in the heavenly realms. But when he mentions the incomparably great power that is available to us, he has more to say. This is new. He's introducing this into the, into the conversation. And so he, he bursts out in a rather full and dynamic description of the nature of this power that is available to us all in Christ Jesus and By the way, just like last week, this is one long run-on sentence. Last part of verse 19. 
That power, he says, is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Paul prays that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead and seated him in the heavenly places as a ruler over all might be experienced by us, that we might know that we too, catch this, we too are seated in Christ in the heavenly realms. Last week, Paul opened the better part of our passage with this from Ephesians 1, 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Christ is in the heavenly realms. We are in Christ. And so we also are already in the heavenly realms. So, in some strange, wonderful, mystical sense, sisters and brothers, though it is incomplete, we are already in heaven. Mind blown. We are already in heaven. Do not misunderstand me. I'm not saying that this is it. This is as good as it gets. That's not what I mean. I'm saying that what Paul is praying for is that we will receive an apocalypse, a revelation of the truth of these things. We can already experience heaven on earth to some degree. First word was apocalypse. Now, time zones. In verse 21, Paul mentions two time zones, the present and the future. And again, he writes that Christ is seated at the right hand of God in the heavenly realms, far above all authority and every other name. Where? Or rather, when? Not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. Part of the Part of the apocalypse that Paul is praying will be revealed to us is that there are two ages existing in the universe. The present age and the age to come. These these ages, this, this concept of two ages is not uniquely Christian. They are deeply Jewish ideas. Two ages, this age and the age to come. The prophets and the rabbis would speak of this age and something called the age to come. In this age, we deal with all that has gone wrong with the world since Genesis 3. Evil and sin and death and slavery and violence and the curse. In the age to come, we get the opposite. Justice and love, life, freedom, shalom, blessing, righteousness. The age to come, according to the prophets, would begin with something called the day of the Lord. It was a a day of judgment, and it was a day when the righteous people who had gone before and had died would be resurrected, and with that resurrection, the new age would begin. What has happened in Christ, what has been apocalypsed to Paul, and what he prays that we will now see as well, is that these Two ages, two time zones, now overlap. Welcome to the new age. First word was apocalypse. The second was time zone. The third is inauguration. Inauguration. Christ's death and resurrection have already 
inaugurated the age to come. It will not come in fullness until Christ returns, what we would call the consummation. In the meantime, we who are in Christ, we live in two places at once, heaven and earth. Put another way. By the rabbis and prophets' understanding, Christ has already entered entered into the age to come because he has died and been resurrected. He has gone before us. Now that we who have, have put our faith in Christ, now that we have done that, we too experience the age to come even now. We live in the overlap, the overlap where the new creation has been inaugurated. That space in the middle. We reign with Christ and we experience every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Do not miss that. And we live on earth until Christ returns and brings heaven to earth in all its fullness. The cross in that diagram on the left there represents Christ's death and resurrection where things are inaugurated. The sunburst on the right represents the return of Christ when this new age, when new creation, the age to come, will dawn upon us all in fullness and finality. And this age will pass away and the age to come will come in fullness. The fuller biblical understanding is not, by the way, that we go to heaven sometime in the future and live there. It is rather that earth and heaven will become one And really that is already in process of becoming one. And we will live there. We will live here in the overlap. In between, some of the future kingdom reality is already present in us and for us who are in Christ Jesus. The unveiling, the revelation, the disclosing of God's Mysterious plan is not just in the future. It is now. Welcome to Apocalypse Now. Now, I stole that title straight from the Bible Project, guys, but knowing me and movies, I would have gotten there eventually. (laughs) Some theologians refer to this overlap between this age and the age to come as life in between the now and the not yet. Maybe you've heard that phrase. But really, we don't live in between the now and the not yet. We live in the now and the not yet. Because they overlap, we live in two realities at one time. And when you think about it, it's not all that different than all the way back in the beginning in our study of Genesis. The Garden of Eden was a place where heaven and earth meet. Now, we still must contend and we still must struggle with sin and evil and death. But we also already have access to the justice and the love and the life and the freedom and the peace and the blessing and the righteousness of the future and final kingdom of God. And, and, we can be agents of these things in the world, in our community, even now. If we were standing in the middle of that gymnasium in Union Elementary School in College Corner, Indiana, oh, let's prior to 2006, I should say that. We could reach out, if we could reach down and pick up this imaginary line of the state of Ohio and just stretch it over Indiana just a few feet and then step in it. We would be in two time zones at once. 
we would be in the present and in the future at the same time. For those of us who are in Christ, the age to come has already broken into the present age. The two overlap. Once we have come to faith in Christ, we can experience every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, as Paul said in last week's passage. Even as we live out our day-to-day lives on earth amid, amid everything that is not yet as it ought to be. The Celtic Christians who date back to the Middle Ages were fond of saying that there are places, physical places on the earth where the veil between heaven and earth is wispy and thin and you can see it, you can almost touch it. You you have a sense of something incredibly holy right where you are. Physical places, they call these places thin places. Thin places. They also said that really heaven and earth are only three feet apart. That's what they said, three feet apart. And in thin places, that distance is much shorter. I should really start asking Pastor Kristen, hey, what's the children's message this week? Because every week, I could have used that. Uh, Jacob, Jacob has a dream. When he wakes up from that dream, he says something. Surely the Lord was in this place and I was not aware of it. That's our prayer, is that we become aware of the fact that God is in this place. Now, for us, more than for Jacob, because we live in the overlap. To live in the overlap of this present age and the age to come is to be in the thinnest of places where we can become more aware of God. More aware of the blessings that God has made accessible to us in Christ Jesus. This, this is what the Apostle Paul means over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 when he tells us Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. Older translations say, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The word he is not there. It's just an assumption that's what it meant. The new creation has come. It's here. If we are in Christ, the new creation is already here. Put it another way, we, the people of God in Christ Jesus, we are the place where this present age and the age to come overlap. We are the disturbance in a space-time continuum in the best possible way. Some of us don't know it yet, but we are. Back in chapter 1, verse 10, Paul told us about the previously hidden mystery that has now been revealed to us, that, that it is God's good pleasure... It is God's good pleasure to one day bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth in Christ. In verses 22 to 23, Paul restates and fleshes this out a bit. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. I, I, I picture people sitting in the church as this is being read, going, Wait, can, whoa, can you read that again? They should be going, wow, my mind is blown every three minutes. Christ is the head of the church. All who are in Christ are a part of this church, the larger church, the capital C church. We are the body of Christ. We, plural, are the fullness of Christ in the world who fills all things in all ways. 
This is another way of saying that in Christ, God's purpose is to bring unity to all things. And that purpose has already begun to be fulfilled in and through the church. Paul then takes things a step or two further. He says that in and through us, the people through whom the age to come has already been breaking into the present age, in and through us, the fullness of Christ is present to the world. In and through us, the fullness of Christ fills all things in every way. This is what it means to be the church in the world. 1 John 4, 17 tells us, In this world we are like Jesus. We are like Jesus. Not you individually. I mean, that's true to some point too. But we are like Jesus in the world. This is what we mean when we talk about the ECC touchstone of presence. If you're new to ECC, we have three touchstones. Welcome, transformation, and presence. By presence, we mean that we are commissioned as agents of change and redemption in community with one another and in the world. Presence is not just about individuals. It's that we, the church of Jesus Christ around the world, are the fullness of Christ who fills all things in all ways. We are the presence of Christ to the world. We are the ones in whom and through whom the age to come is already reaching back, washing over, breaking in, cleansing, and renewing this present age. It's time for us to synchronize our watches to the age to come. Not just our watches, our calendars, our agendas, our very lives. Amen? What difference, what difference would it make in your life, in my life, and our relationships this week if we lived as if this is true? If we lived as, as those who have access to every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms to say nothing of the very power that raised Jesus from the dead and seated him on the throne in the heavenly realms. Above all things, every power and authority and every name that can ever be invoked. What difference would it make in your day today, in the week ahead, in the months ahead? What difference would it make? I hope you find out. I hope we can make the choice together as this body to live our lives corporately and as individual households, as people who know that we live already in the age to come, heaven on earth already. I hope we get to find out. As we close, I'm going to invite you to stand now. And I'm going to pray a prayer over you. And it's going to be uh, a prayer that adapts some of the language that Paul has used here. So, let us pray. God, you have promised us so much more than many, if not most of us, have ever experienced. Take us deeper, we pray. Take us farther than we have ever been. We ask that you would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation, apocalypse, so that we might come to know you better and better, more deeply and more fully than ever before and than we ever knew to be possible. 
God, would you open the eyes of our heart so that we might know and comprehend the hope to which you have called us, the riches of your glorious inheritance in us and with us and your incomparably great power for all who believe in you. Grant that we might know and experience that same mighty power you exerted when you raised Christ from the dead and seated him at your right hand in the heavenly realms where we too are now seated. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in this present age, but also in the age to come. And may we come to know what it means to be your body in the world, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. We ask these things in the name of Christ, for your glory, God, for the good of our neighbors, and for our own abundant lives in you. Amen.